Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical world view. My name is Bruce Johnson. I am joined today, as always, by my brother Jacob Johnson. Hello. He is in Pennsylvania. I am in the state of South Dakota. And we are joining you from an electronic device of some variety in a different state that's probably not South Dakota or Pennsylvania. But if it is, let us know. If it's not, let us know. Basically, just send us an email at trdshow@potomail.com. We want to hear your thoughts on everything that we talk about and maybe just life in general. Just send us some emails. We'd love to hear from our audience. Check out our show website. Um, it's at trdshow.net. We got a list of links to all of the many platforms we're on. And as a reminder, please like this video, subscribe to the channel, follow us because those numbers really help us grow. We really appreciate all of that. And it will eventually help us get sponsorships someday so that we can produce even more content at a higher quality because we can afford better equipment and we can sink more time into this and less time into our other jobs. Kidding. We still have other jobs. Um, also, you can follow us on social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram and um, ones that don't hate free speech like Gab and Getter as well. So follow us there. We post a ton of content, and we think that, uh, you know, if you're not following us there, you're missing out on a lot of stuff. At least, that's what we think. Um, but, you know, you won't know if we're, if we're telling the truth or not unless you go there. So, check us out there. Sign up for our newsletter. Go to trdshow.net slash newsletter. We've got all sorts of cool stuff. Our mom does a wonderful job of sending out newsletters every week, and uh, you definitely don't want to miss that. So, if you're not signed up for the newsletter yet, you should definitely go do that. All right, so today is Literature Wednesday. Yesterday was uh, Election Day, and since we're filming this um, prior to Election Day, I don't know how it went. So, hey, it was probably just like what we were talking about on Monday where it was the magical red wave, and um, hopefully you all, our audience, are not reveling and super excited about that. Hopefully you are soberly um, um, uh, cautious about the future. <laughs> but... Leave us a comment with your thoughts about how the election went in your state. We would really love to hear from you about that. But today, you know, we're going to be talking about Christian nationalism by Andrew Torba, talking about chapters three and four. I'll be talking about chapter three. Jake is going to be talking about chapter four. We decided to kind of split it up and get through more of the four chapters this way. Four and five. Thank you very much. I forgot to update my notes. Chapters four and five. Three was last week. So there we go. I'll just put that in my notes now because if I don't do that, I will definitely forget and i'll say it again later um anyways there's a lot to talk about we have so much we're going to be breaking down um and i mean there's there's so much content so we're not going to waste a lot of time um before we get into that so before we get into talking about um that the history of the covenant through history through biblical history, before we get into the Judeo-Christian values and what that actually means, before we get into whatever's in chapter 5, uh, we have to talk about our verse of the week. And it's Wednesday, so I'm going to pass it over to Jake to do just that. Alrighty. And our verse this week is found in Proverbs 24, 5 through 6, which says, A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. But by wise guidance, you can wage your war. And in abundance of counselors, there is victory. And I looked up in this Bible right here. This is a, I think this is an NIV. I wish it was an ESV. But it is an NIV, sadly. Uh, no, 
Sorry. NKJV. There we go. This is not an NIV. But, uh, I looked up a verse, another verse, that really ties in well with this. And I think I want to go the route in talking about this as a literal sense of war, a literal sense of strength and might, that being wise gives you strength, and and it gives you might, it gives you power, it lets you wage a war, and in that war you can have victory. But we also go to this other verse. I, I understand that these verses are very poetic in a sense that they show this type of imagery, but I think we should take this imagery to be in a sense literal as well. Um, that we need to actually think of this the way that it's it's said. Uh, but uh, go to Proverbs 21 verses 22. And it says, A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the trusted stronghold. Now, again, that's a very little, a very um, poetic type of way to put it. But with this understanding of a wise man has strength, maybe not necessarily little like physical strength, but mental strength, him being able to be strategic, him being able to understand how to take down a stronghold the best way without just brute, brute forcing it. But this is also, I would say, brute force as well. But in this you have, for by wise guidance, you can wage your war. With this wise guidance, you have maybe two to three people around you who can give you wise guidance. You, you can start a war. But then it moves on to say, in an abundance of counselors, and I would take this as a community of people around you who are wise, who are instructing you, who are saying, oh, this is, this is a good thing. These are, these are Christian principles that we need to follow. This is what this abundance of counselors and through that, we will have victory. So definitely being in a place where you have people around you that can lift you up, can teach you, can show you where you're wrong, and show you that you're not wise, let, me, let us help you be wise. So it, it is a little bit of a short breakdown there, but we have a lot to talk about going forward. So hopefully that was insightful. Thank you, Jacob. And as always, we have all of these verses up on our social media platforms and pictures to those. So if you want to share that around, we'd appreciate it. Leave your comments and your thoughts and perspectives on this. And um, let us know if you appreciated Jake's breakdown, because I, I thought that was really well done. Um, all right, so let's get into this. So I'm going to start um, by talking about chapter four of Andrew Torba's book, which we read all of last month and now we're reading again we're continuing with it this month i don't know if we ever officially stated that but we're continuing in november with uh, andrew torva's book here uh, christian nationalism um and chapter four is is really comprised of of two core ideas that i was picking up on and i want to capitalize on these two core ideas one is uh the idea of realigning christians on the covenant so what does covenant theology actually mean um, why is it so important? How is it demonstrated throughout scripture that this is very clearly something we should believe in? And how does it fit into redemptive history? And what I think you'll find is that it's at the very center of redemptive history. 
Um, and you really can't properly understand the Bible without it. Uh, so that's the first concept, and Andrew Torbett does a great job of opening up that conversation. Second principle is dispelling notions of anti-Semitism. And so basically this was, uh, he, <laughs> I think what he said was, this is for all of you lazy uh, researchers out there who run, want to write a hit piece on his book, and you're just going to do Command F and search for uh, anti-Semitism in the book so that you can, you know, just diss him without actually doing your research. So he's like, all right, here you go. Here's a whole chapter that dispels that entire notion that we are just against Jews verbatim, doesn't matter what they believe. So, but let's first start with covenantal history throughout scripture. So the, this, like I said, this won't be an exhaustive breakdown of everything that could be said on this topic. We just, just we simply don't have the time for that. And smart, far smarter men than us have, have already written great documents and produced great sermons and great content on this topic. So that's not our goal here. Um, but this at least lays down some of the key elements of how covenantal theology relates to our discussion about quote-unquote, Judeo-Christian values, which is kind of what's hanging in the balance here is Andrew Torba's shooting down the idea of Judeo-Christian values that we can just basically have this overarching idea of Christianity that is either Jewish or Christian, and it's fine, both are equal. He's kind of shooting that down by discussing covenant theology through the lens of Christ, which is really how you should understand it that's what it all points towards. Uh, but on page 59, Andrew Torba said, it's, it's a bit of a longer quote, but it's, it really delves into so many things. I, I couldn't figure out a way to, to, to shorten it, to cut it down. So bear with me, it's, but it's, it's, it's really, really good. Page 59. He, talking about Paul and Romans, also tells of a future conversion of Israel before God brings judgment down upon the old covenant order and Babylon the great, which is Jerusalem, Revelation 18. Just as Paul prophesied, there indeed was a mass conversion of Jews right before the Romans came to destroy Israel. And you can look at Revelations 11, 1 through 13, also chapter 14, verses 1 through 20. God used his salvation of the Gentiles to provoke the full remnant of Israel to repent and believe in the Messiah, just as Paul said he would when he said, and so all Israel will be saved. All Israel is the full sum of the Jews who confessed Christ before God sent uh, before God sent the judgment upon Jerusalem, prophesied by Jesus in Matthew 24 and revealed in the book of Revelation, end quote. So there is a lot there, and I highly encourage you to grab a copy of this book and read through that yourself. Um, but again, there are lots of other resources that we can point you towards. If, if that didn't make sense and that was confusing and you were like, huh, what did they mean there? Leave us a comment, send us an email, we have a lot of resources we can send your way, and we'd really love to, but we just don't have time to focus on everything that's in that right now. So get the book, and then send us an email, and we'll send you more books. <laughs> um, on page 60, Andrew Torba went on to say, Far from being a replacement for Israel, it is a fulfillment. No one would say that a family with five natural children that adopts a baby is replacing the natural children even if one of the older children ran away and disowned his parents. The faithful remnant of Israel, the true Israel, was preserved. It was joined to Christ along with the Gentile believers, end quote. So we're not looking for some future, like, rebuilding of the temple so that it can be destroyed again. 
um, so that we can have all of these sacrifices again, so that all of these things that were fulfilled in Christ can now come back, which makes no sense. If you're still looking forward to that, and all of your faith is like, we need to wait for Israel to become a nation again so they can rebuild the temple so they can do what? Then you've completely missed the whole point of covenantal redemptive history throughout the Bible. Uh, and so that's what, what Andrew Torba is getting at here, is that this mixture of Judeo-Christian values was based on this idea of, um, I think what he called it was dispensational Zionism which originated in the mid-1800s and then really took prominence after the Second World War. And he goes into the details of that. But really, all of that is based around this concept of misunderstanding and completely ignoring Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 11, where Paul talks about the relationship of the Jews and the Gentiles and how now we are all in a new covenant under Christ. We're not looking for a rebuilding of the temple. We're not looking for all of these things. That's done. It's already been fulfilled in Christ. Um, page 50, 58, Andrew Torba said, the union of Jew and Gentile into the church is perhaps the main theme of the New Testament. It is unquestionably the main theme of the book of Romans, end quote. And he went into a lot more detail on that. So get the book, check it out. Uh, let's see. So another quote from page 61, it is impossible to overstate the importance of the historic cataclysm that was the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD. That was God's conclusive final judgment on the old covenant. It is over. No more sacrifices, only the sacrifice. His covenant and his promises exclusively belong to the true Israel, Jesus Christ, end quote. Um, so but before we wrap up this short conversation on the covenant, because believe me, there's so much more that could be said, I'd like to leave you with one of the many passages in scripture that sums all of this up quite succinctly, and that's Ephesians 2, 11 through 14. Um, so that passage says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made both uh, us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. End quote. And that was, again, Ephesians 2, 11 through, 11 through 14. Okay, so really quickly, I'm almost out of time. I have to give the remaining 15 minutes to Jake. So I'm sorry, I'll just wrap this up really quickly. Um, one section, uh, two sections that I'll get through. The truth about modern Judaism, and then I want to talk about hating a, a people group because of their ethnicity is entirely unbiblical. So two quotes on the truth about modern Judaism. On page 62, Andrew Torba said, Modern Judaism is a new religion created after the old covenant was destroyed. It is a faith that is built out of the codified traditions of the elders that Christ forcefully condemned. And then on page 63, he said the modern Jewish religion is not just like ours, but without the New Testament. If they reject Jesus, they reject the Old Testament because all of it is about him and points to him.
So that's really important to understand. And then finally, my last section I want to talk about, hating a group of people because of their ethnicity is entirely anti-biblical. On page 63, Andrew Torba said, far from being anti-Semitic, a proper understanding of this shows heartfelt concern for their souls. We should pray often for the Jewish people to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Ethnic Jews who repent and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are our brothers and sisters in Christ. The, the left knows this. They know that Christians aren't actually racists. Um, they know we're not people who want a resurfacing of the atrocities of his, Hitler and his fiends. They know we don't want that. But if they can paint us all as racists of some variety, then they can do battle against the man of straw rather than the man of God, which is exactly what they want to do. That is, that is their goal. They want to battle straw men because they can set them up and take them down pretty easily. They don't want to battle the man of God, the man of wisdom that Jacob just described when he was talking about our verse of this week. Um, while it gets tiring to constantly repeat the phrase, we aren't racist because the word, because that would go against the uh, going against scripture, it gets tiring to keep repeating that. No, we're not racists because that would go against scripture. We don't hate people groups for who they are because God says to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, come on, you know this. While that gets tiring over and over again saying that, I believe it makes sense to reassert scripture in the face of their perpetual attempts to denigrate it. So what Andrew Torba did here in restating that, I thought was nicely done. All right, I'm done. Bit over time. So I will see the remaining time to you, Jake. Take it away. I'm, I'm surprised you got through that last little bit, last little <laughs> section there. That, Me too. that worked out quite nicely. <laughs> um, but starting out with chapter five, chapter five was a really good chapter, uh, especially of this idea. And this idea for me personally is a, a big part of at least the culinary industry for myself. Um, and so this, this idea is really cool to me to ha have a lot of people understand. And that is the idea of being unapologetically Christian. Um, and he starts out on page 65, and these are all coming from the old book. This is all coming from Bruce's style of book. This is, this is the one that came before this new version. Um, so the, the pages might not align exactly. So just find chapter five and see if you can match where we are. <laughs> um, but again, on page 65, uh, Andrew Torba says, we won't apologize for anything that we have said or any of the work we are doing to take dominion of our country and culture for the glory of God. Again, that's page 65. And, and I want to point out here that he's not saying that we won't apologize for anything that we do. He doesn't just end it there. He says, we won't apologize for stuff that for when we are working towards building a Christian culture and building something that is of the glory of God. And so, but when we mess up, when we make a mistake, obviously we, we will apologize. We're not saying flat, flat, straight out, we're never going to apologize. That's not what an apologetically Christian means. Uh, continuing on page 65, he also says, nothing and no one should stand in our way of accomplishing that mission mission in each and every nation on this planet. We shouldn't have to answer to anyone if we are following God's law. We shouldn't have to 
allow someone, we shouldn't, people shouldn't be standing in our way when we're working towards God's kingdom. If they're standing in our way, they get knocked down. Because the only people who stand in our way are the people who do not believe in God's kingdom. And that could be some Christians, that could be the unbelievers. But if you don't believe in God's kingdom and you want to say we shouldn't be working towards God's kingdom, then you're going to get knocked down because we are continuing. We are going to be furthering God's kingdom. Um, But moving on to the next section, uh, and Andrew Torba, kind of a lot on page 66 and, you know, some on page 67 and 69, he's talking about what a Christian nation looks like. And on page 66, he starts out, now it is time for an, for our nation to be led by wise Christian warriors who fear God, read their Bible, and will not bend the knee to the wicked establishment cause and ways of the world. Continuing on page 66, he also says, If we are going to build a Christian movement, it must be exclusively Christian, and we can't be afraid to say that out loud. And again, this fits into that aspect of being unapologetically Christian. We shouldn't be afraid to shout this. And also on page 69, he says, Christian nationalism is a movement, uh, sorry, Christian nationalism as a movement is explicitly Christian. This should be obvious by the name. Others are certainly welcome to support the movement and enjoy the fruits of Christian leadership and culture, but we need parents, candidates, leaders, thinkers, influencers, cultural warriors, and builders who believe in and follow Jesus Christ. Otherwise, it wouldn't be Christian nationalism. And specifically here, end quote, and specifically here, he's talking about that we're following Jesus Christ in all areas of life. That we're not just saying, Jesus is Lord of my heart. It goes beyond that. Yes, (laughs) and. Yes, he is Lord of your heart. But he is also Lord of all the earth. Yeah. On on page 67, Andrew Torba says, Movements without a shared common worldview and moral framework are doomed to failure. And my immediate thought when I read that is the Republican Party. They, they've slowly broken themselves in trying to become broader and broader with their definition of what a Republican is. Yeah. They've broken up this shared common worldview in moral moral framework. So yeah. they are doomed to fail by themselves. Right. They are doomed to crumble without a Christian uh, influence. Mm. So moving on, uh, Andrew Torbe, and this is my, my broad title, Christian nationalism is not what this world thinks. On page 67, he says, Christian nationalism is not merely a political movement. It's a social, cultural, and spiritual one. Christian nationalism is not limited to the United States. This is not Mm. some random... He also brings up in, in this chapter that a lot of the the what the world thinks as Christian nationalism is that we think America is some chosen land that God wants America specifically. No, it's, <laughs> yeah. we're, we are, 
because we are in America at this current moment, and because America has uh, historically been a Christian nation, we are able to easily bring America back to that standard and then spread out throughout the all of the world. Yeah, theoretically. Yeah. But because we're here, it's because closer this is... than the other nations are. Yeah. Right, right. Generally. We are trying to change this nation first. But this is not the only place. It weren't it's not limited to the United States. Yeah, uh Andrew Torber also continues on page sixty eight saying Make no mistake about it, though, our king has dominion over this entire earth, every square inch, end quote. And, and I move into my second to last point. Um, and really, my last point is my closing quotes. But this point here, uh, f- um, found on page 70, Andrew, sorry, let me start out by giving you the header of this, uh, this point. <laughs> and the header is the, fr- the fruit-bearing believers. Uh, mm. And page 70, Andrew Torpor says, When others see the fruit that yields, we pray that they, they too, they too, may, oh. So what happens is when we, when we try and do the quotes, I take a picture with my phone and I copy it out. Some of the words get switched and i think this is <laughs> the place but uh when others see the fruits that yields we pray that others too may come to know jesus as their savior either way the path forward against secular liberal democracy and cultural need culture needs to be rooted in christ and his followers the real victory comes from a multi-generational effort not four-year political dog-and-pony shows. So this is not just a, oh, we get a Republican yeah. for a little bit, and then we get a Democrat for a little bit. Oh, and then we get a yep. Republican for, for a little bit. That's not how we grow a Christian culture. Yeah, We need to start with well, this multi-generational effort. I mean, yeah, and what you were talking about earlier, where modern-day Christians, well, huh. This can't even be said about the majority of modern evangelifish anymore. Unfortunately, this can't even be true. But it used to be maybe, uh, you know, a couple decades ago, maybe one or two decades ago, they would readily admit that Christ is Lord of or should be Lord of my heart, right? Christ should be controlling your heart, just like you were saying earlier. He's the Lord of your heart. You're, that's, but that's it. And they limit it to that. But that's true. And what that should do if you have a proper understanding of that is it should boil out and have a ripple effect that transforms society in all the ways you've just described yep. up until this point jake that's the beginning yes it's the foundation and it allows for everything else to be possible so you know like we've stated multiple times we don't deny the importance of christ being lord of your heart and personal sanctification but what that should do, the outpouring of that, is what pastors today constantly try and avoid by literally being silent on it. Mm-hmm. That's what we're calling for. And that's what Andrew Torb is calling for in his book here. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And moving on to my last point and closing quotes. But um, I have two quotes to close. And this is specifically talking about what I kind of ended on 
the on the last one is this generational growth. Uh, Andrew Torba says on page 70, ultimately, the individual man must take dominion over his home, over his wife and children, over himself, over himself. Victory with this approach is inevitable. Our children will be homeschooled. Our children will not be attending drag shows. Our children will not be watching Netflix filth. They will not be tuning into Fox News or CNN. They will not be on Facebook. And so he then goes on to say that we we must focus on teaching our children's children. Being focused on our children's children. That we look further in this generational mindset. And and that is why he ends on this quote. And and this is the very last sentence of this chapter. And I think it is so poignant, especially with that mindset that we are focusing on the generational that we want, that we're looking forward to our children's children. And on page 71, he says, they will reap the fruits of our labor. And so we labor on. So we look to the future. We labor on so they can have those fruits. So they can have these victories. They can win these battles. That is why we labor. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, dude, great uh, culmination of all of those. The hardest thing is always trying to take uh, all the content that are that's in these chapters and boil it down to something we can discuss in half an hour or so. And then you double it up with two chapters and it's even harder. So awesome work. Um, thanks for tying in a lot of those things. And uh, you as the audience, um, if you have yet to purchase a copy of this book, we highly, highly recommend it. Um, books that we read on the show, we ensure are principled literature. And so we wouldn't read a book on the show and uh, not recommend you buy it. Unless, of course, we're reading the enemy's books and we will make that very clear when we are. So in this case, we are definitely not. And we highly encourage you to pick up your own copy of Christian and, Nationalism by Andrew Torba. And that, and if we ever do that, that will be a very funny month because we will be making fun of it the entire time. <laughs> Ripping it to shreds, hopefully. Yes. Well, thank you all so, so much for watching us or listening to us today. Don't forget, like this video. Please subscribe. Those things really, really help us. Please like this video. Share it. Because honestly, one of the best ways for us to grow right now is by word of mouth. So if you enjoy this content, share it with as many people as you possibly can. Send us an email at trdshow at protonmail.com. We want to hear your thoughts on what we just talked about today. And check out our show website, which is trdshow.net. TRDshow. That's The Reformed Dissenters. trdshow.net. We've got all sorts of things on that site you do not want to miss. And we will see you on our Friday episode where we have a special guest. Comedian John Branion is joining us for the second time on our show. And we're very, very excited to chat with him. And remember, everyone, in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord. 